You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America. The DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me in studio today is my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Mike, what's going on, man? Good afternoon, Chris. It's great to be back in studio with you. It's been, I don't know, a few weeks. Yeah, it's been some time, probably more than that. Yeah, probably least. so, probably so. At least our, our producer, Chris Isaac, thinks it has. Yeah, getting the band back together. That's right. um, so, Mike, you wanted to hop on this podcast today and just kind of do something that we've never really done before. And you've been traveling a little bit. I've been traveling a little bit. Everybody's busy. It's that time of year. It's middle of November. Um, I think for me, one of the most important aspects of November um, is that November is the only month, once we get to the end of the month here, when Mississippi and Alabama open, it is the only month out of the year that waterfowl, regular waterfowl seasons are open throughout the entire U.S. Is that right? It is. Because by the time you get to December, you start having like... Some closures in Michigan, Minnesota. Minnesota, yep, that, yeah. Locks up North Dakota. North Dakota. Uh, but... That week between basically like the 20th and the 25th, 
um, is that time of year where just about everyone yeah. in the country can take a crack at them. You know, so. I was talking to somebody recently, and and I think I said this last year also, but it, it again, it hit me this year. So used to the only sort of hunting season that I was aware of and was tuned into was the one for the state in which I live, whether it be Louisiana, Mississippi, Ohio. And so you've got that 60 to 80 day window when you're thinking about it and you're planning it. And, but now with the things that I do here for, for DU at our national headquarters and working with you, certainly on the podcast, I think about and I'm aware of and I'm staying in tune with the hunting seasons from September all the way through really into February. Oh, yeah. It's like, holy cow. Like it feel like I've already gone through, and I have, two months, two and a half months of the hunting season and haven't even fired a shot. I haven't hunted yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, that's it. You know, we're, you're, you're starting off in Alaska, in yeah, Canada, absolutely. like September 1. We're talking to Scott. Yep. Steven's up there who's chasing them on September 1. I mean, it gets started yeah. then. And now we're middle of November and we're still waiting on, what do we got? Tennessee, Mississippi, yeah. I think Florida, Southeast of Georgia, Missouri. Yeah, those, they're yeah. all going to open up here towards the end of this month. I don't know the exact date, so I don't want to get put on yeah. blast for that. No. But but now we're getting like Arkansas will be opening here this coming weekend. We are we're recording this on the fourteenth. Um, so November. I, Yep. 2023. There you go. Timestamp. Timestamp. So, I mean, that's really, you wanted to come on here and do kind of a November update. Talk about kind of some of the things that you wanted to talk about. I know we have a big avian uh, influenza update, at least a, a good size one. We've got some migration information coming. We've got plenty of plenty of things to discuss this time of year. But I think uh, let's go ahead and kick off with that avian influenza update because I know you know waterfowlers throughout the country were really really tuned into it last year, and it really hasn't popped up. But it sounds like from the science side of things, um, you're starting to hear a little bit here and there. We're starting to hear a little bit. You know, this year we were. I guess we were more prepared on the communication side of things. We had put a lot of messaging together last year. We had worked with USDA APHIS on that whole border crossing, those those restrictions, getting those things open back up. And so we continued to have those communications with them this year. We um, allowed that we worked with them to um, to achieve some agreement on relaxing those restrictions. People could bring skin back on their birds that they harvested in Canada this year. And I was able to stay in touch with a few folks and was checking to make sure those types of um, communications were actually making it to the people that need it. Because the way that works is, you know, we worked with USDA APHIS. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that kind of manage some of those import-export restrictions and help establish those. But but then, the, but then what happens is that they communicate those things to customers to border protection. And so we were staying in touch with folks and we we heard from a few people that did have some difficulty getting birds back across. Apparently there was some miscommunication or that 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 information, that revised restriction didn't make it all the way down to a particular agent in the CBP office. And so we were able to reach back out to uh, USDA APHIS that, and their offices. And they, yep, they said, we're, we're aware, of, aware of it. We've heard from a few other folks. And so they reissued some communications back to Customs and Border Protection and tried to get some of that straightened out. So I'm certain there were a few issues out there, but hopefully they were few and far between. And 
just again, thanks to our partners with USDA for their cooperation and wanting to help make some improvements there. What's it going to look like look like next year in terms of those import export restrictions? Or I guess we're talking about kind of importation into the U.S. We don't know. Uh, we do anticipate eventually, hopefully, getting to a point where we go back to kind of life before the. Mm-hmm. the outbreak a couple years ago or last year. So anyway, stay tuned for that. With regard to your question about what we're seeing on avian influenza outbreaks here in the States, we I received a report a couple weeks ago from our friend and colleague, co-worker out in Oregon, Kelly Warren, DU biologist out there. They were starting to see actually a couple of things, starting to get reports of, of aspergillosis and some cackling can, and it's a cackling geese, I think, but also some uh, avian influenza reports of that in some some geese out there uh, to the point where ODF&W, Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, were issuing some alerts or putting mm-hmm. up some, making some postings, making hunters aware yep. that, hey, we're seeing some of this again and be aware, be ready to call, report any sick or dead birds, be cautious about picking up, retrieving sick or dead birds, you know, don't let your dog go chew on a, on on a sick or dead bird that you don't know the cause of that death. And uh, we've, so that's in Oregon. We've also heard of a few outbreaks at poultry facilities in the upper Midwest. I think Iowa, maybe Minnesota. Nothing like what we saw last year. I think by November, late November, I mean, we were talking tens of millions of commercial poultry that had to be euthanized as mm-hmm. a result of some outbreaks in a lot of different facilities. Uh, so we haven't seen it at that level this year, thankfully. And uh, but I mean, it's still there. We know it. We know it's it's out there. We know that waterfowl are going to be moving it around because they are a. Uh, uh, a, a reservoir for avian influenza viruses of all types. This one in, in particular is that high pathogenic avian influenza, the H5N1, I think, if I'm remembering that right. And so, yes, it's out there. Waterfowl hunters still have a responsibility to be safe, uh, to be wise about going into backyard flocks or being going in proximity to any kind of commercial facility. Uh, we still have all the information up on our website, avian uh, org forward slash avian flu. There's some new information on there. So go check that out. But that's where we are right now. And just a reminder to, if you see those sick or dead birds, uh, report it to your state fishing game agency. Have that number with you before you go out in the field. Uh, It's still something that we have to be aware of. Absolutely. And I've driven across duck country there in Arkansas several times the last couple weeks. Um, Yeah. Have you seen any? Any evidence of that? That's And you know, last year it was very visible. As soon as the snow geese showed up, you could look out in the field and see yeah. 100 of them floating. It was super, super dry for yeah. an extent, like through what, late November last year? Yeah, I don't think we did not. Yeah, you're probably right. We didn't get really a good dazzle of water until like that first week of December. Yeah. But um, this, so we it was dry going into November this year and geese were showing up, but we've had some rain over there recently, right? Yeah. Is some that, areas have had some, some pretty good precipitation. I mean, the area where I hunt just west of Stuttgart, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we ended up with like seven inches of rain on some of these guys' gauges. Um, mm. Now, that was not widespread throughout the state, but some areas did get it. I mean, I know some people closer to Memphis got like three. And then while that's not really going to do anything for the river systems out there, it definitely helps yeah. when we do get some more water. Yeah. So there's there's water on the landscape out there. I that's mean, there's, good. I've talked to a lot of people who are, you know, fields are pumped. They're ready to roll. You know, it's well. That's it's here. That will hopefully help with regard to any kind of AI outbreak that may occur. 
um, in some of these more southern states this year compared to last because, you know, one of the – and there's a bit of speculation here, but it's informed speculation based on the way we know kind of viral concentrations work and susceptibility to that among birds is uh, the less dense the waterfowl are concentrated – the less likely we are to have a severe outbreak. There can still be some transmission, but you're spreading those birds out. You're reducing that interaction, and that's a good thing. You're also, in theory, reducing the concentration of the virus in that water. So uh, we still need a lot of water in Louisiana. It's, an, it's, it's a parched landscape down there. Yep. But yeah, I think we're optimistic that we're in a better position this year down in these latitudes you know, with whenever the geese start arriving with regard to avian flu. Yeah, and they definitely got it in the Pacific Northwest last week too we yeah. had a migration alert yeah. come in and it really it quoted kelly and yeah. some of the guys from uh, washington game and fish as well who were saying that they got a bunch of water across the landscape which really spread those birds out uh, there's some big landscapes out there um, yeah. lots of you know and they did get a ton of water so and i think another couple of systems are coming into the west coast yes. this week and into the weekend yeah so that's that's even more. Yeah, uh, and then the one that's supposed to be hitting Louisiana, man, it's... Yeah, I was. I saw the saw the weather this morning, and I don't think it dropped quite as much water as they were hoping it would. It stayed a little off the coast a bit, mm-hmm. based on what I saw. Uh, it helped. I yeah. mean, anything is going to be helpful down there, but I think they still have a long way to go. Yeah, they definitely do. And, you know, that really reflects... Last week, we also did a migration alert for Louisiana. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, we survey... We're going there. Yeah. I mean, survey came out. It's the survey. It's nothing we can, we can't change it. The numbers. I, it and it was expected. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it was, honest. it was what, I, and I don't want to, the exact numbers, but yeah, you know, it was it's the lowest, the on, lowest record on record for November. That's yeah. right. But that can change, you know, we get a bunch of water that can change pretty quick for those guys. I know, the, I know some guys down there who, who are hunting yeah. and having some success. So yeah. it's not as widespread and terrible as it sounds, although it sounds pretty bad. There are some places that are really bad. I was talking to somebody who said there's some clubs that aren't sure if they're going to be able to even have a season because they they don't have any water or they don't have, there's not water in the canal to access their camp. You know, they can't even get to their camp. There's some of that that's happening. Saw some of the video from the aerial survey Jason Olzak Mm -hmm. uh, shared whenever he sent that report around. I mean, vast expanses of of that marsh landscape that typically has water over it, but just dry, yeah. just absolutely dry. So when you've got, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of acres that's not that's not holding water, not providing habitat for, for ducks, you're not going to have a whole lot of ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the results from that survey weren't, uh, weren't shocking, mm-hmm. you know, or at least they weren't unexpected. Um, but yeah, hopefully they get, they get, and, and they will. I think we've talked with Mike Schumer, Dr. Mike Schumer about this being a pretty strong El Nino winter that we're going into, which means generally we would expect cool, wet conditions in the Southern U.S. and we need that. Yep. Uh, so hopefully what we're seeing there with that low pressure system kind of spinning up some moisture uh, on the Gulf Coast this, um, right now, hopefully that's the start of it. No, that's perfect. And I think that's a good little roundup for our, kind of the migration. You, in your, idea of doing this podcast was kind of like, hey, what are you working on? What what am I working on? Just kind of a little discussion. And that's, you know, one of my focuses throughout the year, that migration alert program. And that's, that's thumping right along. So, you know, if you want to subscribe to those, it's ducks.org forward slash migration alert. We do them by flyway, pretty much by state. You get uh, very credible reports from state biologists, state and federal agency guys. Um, The freelance writers who do it do a great job and, and and they really provide credible 
valuable information for hunters looking at certain areas. Now, yeah. we don't do them for every state every week. Nope. Um, that's a lot, but but keep your eyes peeled on your flyway, and you'll definitely get some some valuable information. I'm subscribed to all of those nice. uh, flyway Thank you, alerts. Mark. Yeah, appreciate um, that. So the other thing, kind of related to the the whole migration, the thing that I found interesting is like what we we roll back the clock two or three weeks, and we had a super strong cold weather mm-hmm. um, outbreak there, and people in the Dakotas and Canada were screaming about, oh, it's the season's over, it shut down abruptly. I think for a lot of people it did, mm-hmm. but we've also had a pretty remarkable warm up yeah. since then. Oh, a yeah. lot of those wetlands have thawed, providing additional hunting opportunities. I know I've seen some colleagues and friends that have been able to to do some additional duck hunting that they thought they weren't going to be able to do. The one thing it did do, and I think you tell me if you've heard anything different, but I've heard a lot of reports of people seeing move, pretty significant movements of birds into those mid-latitude states where we're talking about some states like Colorado and yep. maybe Oklahoma, Kansas, certainly Missouri. Uh, they released some of their survey numbers last week and they were up about 60, 70% yeah. from their long-term average for this time of year. Uh, that's a reflection of that very strong early cold front that, that came through that polar vortex disruption i think yeah that that middle of missouri right in there i mean that they picked up a bunch of ducks and that i'm hearing that from everybody who's hunting up there as well as those reports now that survey is only done just to clarify it's only done on state and federal lands that's right so it's not complete landscape level like transects like louisiana one necessarily um but it shows, I mean, they're holding almost 400,000 mallards yeah. in these areas. And that's yeah. significant. I mean, those are those are the birds. And that's exactly what you expect to happen. Dakotas, northern Minnesota freezes. Prairies freeze. Those birds hop. They're going there. Wait till they get froze out. Move south a little further. Hopefully, that's the case here within a couple weeks. Once we start hunting down here, they'll get a little bit of water, and that would that would help us out. Help would help everyone out. Yeah, <laughs> except yeah. for those guys up there, I guess. Yeah, but, that's right. But I mean, like yeah, I said, they, North Dakota. They've been going at it for quite some time. Yep, that's, South Dakota. I'm hearing nothing but positive things out of South good. Dakota. They got some water up there. Good. And so, I mean, I know John Pullman's been after it. You know, we've had Jay Anglin on the show several times talking about Northern Indiana, Illinois. Illinois picked up a bunch of ducks when that freeze came as well. Uh, those norms from the Forbes Biological mm-hmm. Station. Uh, they do a great job with the reports. You can find those on Facebook and we tie them into the alerts. But they picked up a ton of birds at that time. I mean, they jumped significantly kind of like Missouri. I didn't actually see those numbers. Mm-hmm. You, you saw the I numbers did, from yeah. Forbes? Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it was pretty... It was early, yeah, but it was it was pretty significant. So that's good. Yeah. Um, and then we've talked to you know Jay England, who's up there. You know they're hunting Canada geese across Michigan, northern Indiana, and he says it's just phenomenal. Has it's he just, been up to Harson's Lake or Harson's Island yet? Not yet. Okay, not yet. He probably will be here pretty soon. But I know he talked to the guys up there. Part of his alert, um, they were not holding a ton of birds. That's huh. what he talked about on the podcast, which is really weird because yeah. they usually do hold a lot of birds, a lot of redheads up there, right? But the number of ducks killed per hunter at the state hunting ground is significantly higher. Wow. So what they just think they're holding, the birds are spending the evening (laughs) in Canada right across, was that Walpole? Yeah, There's a bunch of of big areas Mm -hmm. where those ducks can can hang out. And then visiting the refuges there and the hunting areas on Harsons Island during the day, which is exactly what hunters want to happen. Right. Well, good deal. Yeah. So right now it's all positive. We'll wait till Arkansas kicks off this weekend and see how that goes. I know it's going to be a little slow for uh, a lot of the public land hunters. That's kind of the expectation. Should have a migration alert here within the next day or so. Now you you think it's going to be slow because why though? Not as much water 
water as we'd well, like Well, you know, to you've have. got like the white and the cash that don't oh, have okay. any water. Yeah, a lot of those yeah. public areas, I haven't even looked, and their waterfowl report will come out tomorrow that'll show who's going to have water and who's not. And it's probably going to be, yeah. the majority of them won't have water. Now, yeah. the cool thing about Arkansas is they've got that W Rice program that uh, a lot of those guys are really pushing right now. And it's, uh, you know, rice fields where you can put in for a, a draw. Um, yep. You get it for a couple of days. You'll have to look at the details of that program. But um, I put in for those before, and it's a it's a pretty interesting program yeah. uh, for guys to get out on a rice field, you know. Well, it, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, it just opens more opportunities sure. for, for more hunters out there. So We need more of that for sure. Stay tuned to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, after these messages. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Now, one thing to skip off, you know, jump off the migration, because uh, we'll get enough into that probably later in the week and next week. You mentioned last week you were at a conference and wanted to talk about some of the cool scientific research that's going on in the wildlife world. So which ones, I know you sent me a picture of one that was a little wild, but I can't remember what it did was. It? You did. I don't remember what it was. Sorry. <laughs> but so what oh, were you doing at that conference? That? And, and something about wild dogs or something. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So that was the annual conference of the Wildlife Society. That is the professional society of, of wildlife biologists. It's based here in uh, in North America. I've been a member of the Wildlife Society for phew, probably going on two decades or something of that nature. And I, but I actually, it's going to be over two decades. And, but this was the first time in about 10 or 15 years, probably closer to 15 years, that I had been to the annual conference. Uh, I have a lot of options for conferences and sort of continuing education, um, meetings and so forth that I that I uh, 
that I could attend in a given year and you have to just select, right? One or two a year. Mm-hmm. And typically I'll go to maybe the American Ornithological Society or the Society of Wetland Scientists. And then occasionally every three or four years, we have the North American Duck Symposium. That's actually happening in February. Uh, this, w- this year, the Wildlife Society Conference was in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it was, it's drivable from Memphis and, or, you know, convenient drive from Memphis. And a couple of our conservation science assistants and and I wanted to go there and some networking opportunities for them, catch uh, catch up on some of the latest research in our field, and and also reconnect with a lot of colleagues in that professional society that I kind of lost touch with. Over tw- over two thousand attendees, oh, wow. one of the largest conferences I've attended, uh, a mix of undergraduate and graduate students covering every aspect of wildlife science and wildlife research that you can imagine from uh, game species to non-game species, uh, you know, turkey, deer, songbirds. Uh, there's some, there's a, a bit of, of research out, from outside of North America. There wasn't a whole lot of, of let's say, waterfowl research presented there. I mm-hmm. think a lot of folks uh, that are doing that research are holding back, waiting on the, the duck symposium, which will be held in February in Portland, Oregon, to present a lot of that research, pre- present their findings. Uh, but I did, there were some there, uh, and several people that we've had on the podcast before, Dr. Casey Setash, Dr. Casey Setash, we go. can say now, mm-hmm. she graduated, successfully defended uh, her dissertation earlier this year. She was studying waterfowl nesting ecology and flood irrigated lands out in, out in Colorado. She presented on a part of her research uh, that was evaluating the effectiveness of, of that particular practice for nesting and broodering waterfowl. Uh, there's also Cheyenne Beach. Mm-hmm. She is now, I think, a PhD. Yes, she is a PhD candidate. Uh, and I forget which university. She's at a university in Illinois. Was she the one that did the fleas? Uh, nope, not the fleas. That was Vanessa uh, okay. with DU Canada. Cheyenne is the one that was working on SCOP, uh, okay. working on parasite loads in, in SCOP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to try to say the scientific name for those <laughs> parasites that she's looking at. But some of her master's research was, was I think, well, I'm probably going to get it a little bit wrong, but may, part of her research was evaluating the effects of implant transmitters on SCOP. Mm. You know, back to this issue of, of evaluating whether the technology that we're using to track waterfowl movements is having any kind of behavioral or physiological or uh, effect on the birds. And so she presented the findings from that aspect of her research at the, at the conference and they found no significant effect. This is actually some work that was sponsored by and conducted in partnership with Panola Aviary in mm-hmm. um, in Shreveport, Louisiana. We've talked w- with them before on, on the podcast. And so it was kind of neat. We were over there earlier this year and we saw these scops swimming around. They had this antenna coming out of their back and <laughs> it was yeah. associated with Cheyenne's project. And so now this paves the way for the next phase of Cheyenne's project where she's going to be radio marking scop at their spring staging areas there on the Mississippi River and then tracking these birds as they go back up through different migration corridors and looking at how those those 
these paths um, may, may translate into any kind of differences in reproductive output. The idea being that there are some of those paths that are going to expose them to, known, to areas of where it is known to have much higher concentrations of those parasites. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a proxy for exposure to these parasites and see if there's any kind of effect on apparent breeding um, activity. Yeah. So if oh, Cheyenne's cool. listening, I hope I, I, hope I get, <laughs> yeah. I hope I get that gonna right. You're going to get an email. Well, here, I just <laughs> looked right. through my test text to okay. see exactly what you sent me. And you need to probably schedule this for a uh, DU think so. podcast. You, you think so. I'm not sure how it ties in, but it's the population genetic analysis of free breeding dogs of Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. That was, That's pretty fascinating. I'm so, not going to lie. So one of the things that I try to do, it's difficult. I have to make myself do it at these conferences is attend a presentation or a workshop that exposes me to something that I don't know as much about, you know, puts you in a bit of a, if it's a workshop where you're having to participate, you're putting yourself in a bit of an uncomfortable position because you're like, I don't know anything about this, Mm -hmm. but somebody, as I was, I think I was telling somebody in a text message, like they were asking, why are you at that workshop? And said, well, like the old saying, if you're not putting yourselves, if you're not putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation, you're not growing, you're not learning, right? So that's kind of what I was trying to do there. And and this was just, I saw it in the program. And I said, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. I want to find out what they're studying there at Chernobyl. And they found some pretty, they were looking at the genetic signatures, genetic differentiation between wild dogs on the Chernobyl site. I forget exactly how they defined that and then compare that to some other uh, wild dogs nearby. And there were some pretty stark differences in the genetic signatures, almost like they're distinct, genetically distinct populations that the, the, that the authors of that study weren't really expecting based on kind of mm-hmm. the, the proximity, how close they were. And so they were like, we don't really know why it's they're differentiating so strongly. It's inbreeding or whatever it is. But anyway, it was just kind of cool to learn about a topic and a place that ordinarily I don't think about. And um, I sat in on a couple of other genetics-related genetic studies and sat in on a lot of uh, workshops and sessions that were – uh, where even our own Dr. Karen Waldrop was uh, was a special presenter. Uh, Ducks Unlimited, our, our leadership, our volunteer and staff leadership were very well represented in some of these sessions that talked about the future of wildlife management and mm-hmm. a lot of the changes that are happening in society and a lot of people getting more involved and interested in contributing uh, to conservation and natural resource decision-making. Dr. Karen Waldrop was on a couple of panels. Uh, Dr. Mamie Parker was on a couple of panels. She is a board member for Ducks Unlimited. Uh, Dr. Christine Thomas is also uh, the chair of our Conservation Programs Committee. She was on a panel, uh, also associated with some of those, those activities. And think, is there anyone else from from our DU leadership that was on those panels? I remember those three, seemed like there might have been another that might come to me. But anyway, we were well represented and it was really cool to see our leadership there and and being recognized by the by the larger wildlife profession as as critical figures in mm-hmm. helping to define sort of the future of 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 where we go as as a larger wildlife uh, and natural resource profession, management profession. Uh, let's see what, uh, yeah, Ben Lukanen, PhD yep. student at Michigan State, presented on some of his research. 
involving Great Lakes mallards and looking at uh, differences in movement and survival and other aspects of demography and behavior. Uh, and I think he tried to relate that to some some of the genetic information that he's collecting from those birds. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of links to this whole issue of game farm mallards and wild mallards. I wasn't able to stick around for his presentation. That was the unfortunate thing is that nearly all of the presentations that related to waterfowl were occurred on the final day in the final final afternoon session we had to get back that afternoon because the very next day we had to turn around and drive to louisiana for a wedding on the following day a wedding of ashley tunstall mm-hmm. our other conservation science assistant so we missed out on those presentations yeah. um Maren Murphy presented on Emperor Geese and some of her work. Uh, Brom Verheijen is a postdoc at the University of Missouri studying distributions of wintering, uh, di- distribution of duck harvest in the Mississippi and Central Flyways over the past 60 years. Uh, we'll have some more information about that in, in the future. Been working with Brom and, and others on that project. So, it was it was fun. I uh, got to catch up with a lot of colleagues that I hadn't seen in a long, long time, and heard about a lot of research that I typically don't. And reminded me that it's a it's a conference that has a lot of value, and I'm probably going to try to go to it more frequently. Well, I definitely, we'll go to it more frequently than once every 15 years. We need to get you start scheduling some of these. I know some of these people who are doing this research. <laughs> uh, you know, I, let's get them on the show. I know. What I need them to do, if y'all are listening, send me an email. Help. Let's let's meet me halfway. Send me an email telling me that you want to come on to talk about your research. That that. It, Help, help me do half my job. <laughs> help me do my job. <laughs> well, you know, you kind of touched on it several different times just when you talked about genetics and things like that. But do you have any update on the Duck DNA program? Which Boy, we've done do a podcast. We've done <laughs> everything about it. And let's hear about Duck DNA. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why I haven't been on as many episodes this this fall uh, is because that has it's consumed a lot of time kind of getting, because we started that from scratch, you know, and we've been produced, we've been dealing with so many, every aspect of it. Um, but the response has been pretty incredible. I've been very pleased and very thankful to everyone that has commented, everybody that has signed up, everybody that has asked to participate. People have offered to pay to participate in it. Um, and we're like, no, we're, we're it's free. Right now, it's free. We don't know long-term what this is going to look like. We're sticking with our random draw. Uh, as a reminder, we're, we're trying to enroll about 300 waterfowl hunters into this program this year. We're asking each of those hunters to submit tissue samples from five harvested ducks. You can go to duckdna.com to find out more of the details on this if, you have, if you're not already familiar with it. But just a few updates here. We completed our first round of selections in, boy, what was that, early October? And and we had to run through some of the logistics associated with the, with the pilot project. We had some leaky sample vials, mm-hmm. and we had to correct that issue. I got a phone issue. call about that. <laughs> we got to cor- had to correct that issue. You got to you got a call about that. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yeah. Totally under. Did I know about that? Yeah, it was the same guy that had reached out to you, but oh, you were okay. you were out of you were out. Oh, of okay. So. Yeah, he's probably listened to this. He yeah. And so we quickly got on that, ordered some new sample vials and shipped those out to everybody. Um, we we also had some issues with the box, you know, in terms of, of it, it being too strong. You know, you're supposed to have this little pull tab that you can rip it open, mm-hmm. but it just... It, you end up having to kind of tear the box apart whenever you do that. So we end up having to tape it and we advise people to cut the tape in order to open. So, you know, those types of yeah, things that we, we knew we would encounter some 
hiccups along the way, just kind of rolling this thing out the way we did. But everybody has been very understanding. We have, we've had a number of people reaching out to us through the dedicated email address for this program, asking us questions, um, keeping us up to date on various things. Uh, we've had over 3,000, I think I'm safe in saying over 3,000 people apply to participate in this as of right now. Yep. La- as of last week, it was over, It was almost 2,900. So I feel pretty wow. safe in saying it's now over 3,000 that have applied to participate. I Our, did not get selected, by the way. Mm, did you, I was like, did I, you apply? I did. Well, so this is what I'm going to say now. Our next round of selections is going to occur in the next couple of weeks. We may do that as early as next week. You know, we were going to wait until early December, but the one thing we learned from this first round of selections is that there's a bit of a delay. Like by the time we do the selection, we then have to get the addresses to our colleagues at UTEP. They have to prep the packages, print the address labels, and then get those out. And then the U.S. Mail Service, U.S. Postal Service has to get those out. And it's taking a little bit longer than what we anticipated. And we're having some delivery problems with some of those. We Mm -hmm. may, we'll probably look into FedEx shipping next year or something of that nature. Um, So that next round two selections will occur shortly. I don't think, and in that first round of selections, what we did is is excluded hunters that indicated to us, excluded hunters from states whose season wouldn't even be open before, let's say, um, late November, before late November. I think what yeah. we did is if you, if a state was only open for a couple of days in November and then the rest of their season, the majority of their season would be in December and January, they weren't even eligible to be drawn that first round. First so round. you wouldn't have been eligible. That's what we, yeah. in that application process, that's why we ask what state do you primarily hunt I in? I figured you just removed my name from the whole lot. Um, just out of spite. I, I'm going to go with the first <laughs> <Yeah>. option there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be happening uh, soon and you know next year it, whether this continues next year I think is going to depend on the response that we re- continue to receive I mean I, the response we've received thus far is like clearly there's interest in this people are stoked to participate they have I've talked to some people in person they're like thank you for doing this this is really cool I, I want to be able to to give back in this real neat way and uh, so Thank you to everybody that has shown that interest, has applied, and certainly to the people that have participated. We have started to receive some samples. I say we, our colleagues at UTEP, and they're beginning the the process of analyzing those samples. I see posts online every now and then, people putting those things in the mail. And so thank you for that. But yeah, I, I do imagine that we'll want we'll try to go forward with this again next year, exactly what it looks like and whether it increases in scale. And I think it's gonna depend on uh, well, a number of things. So we'll just we'll just see. But there will be continue to be updates on our website. Uh, as we kind of continue on, we'll try to summarize the results of of this year. And it's it's a pretty cool thing. And thanks to everybody that's that's been part of that. Yeah. No, it's great. And cross your fingers, you might get uh, selected. Might get Chris. selected. Yeah. Man, I figured I knew a guy. <laughs> I figured I knew a guy. I, you know, there's probably there's been a few people here in the office that have uh, reminded me on more oh, than really? one, one reminded me on more than one Ooh. occasion that they so I'm not the only that one that they weren't okay. selected the first round. I said, hey, you weren't even eligible to be selected in the first round. Don't 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 get hurt. Don't, don't get, get hurt. your feelings hurt. Not, yeah, not yet. Anyway, it's too early for that. 
Cool. Well, that sounds like a fun program. Awesome little research project. You guys, kind of a citizen science type thing. Participation with DU members. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's yep. just a cool story all around. So what else? We're wrapping up. November, we're coming to a close. Thanksgiving is next week. That is hard to believe. Yep. Uh, crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, you and I are going to try to get together. I don't know if we'll do it this week. I know I know our producer over there wants us to try to do it before the end of the week. Uh, a, a pintail. I think we're going to, I think we'll just go ahead and commit species to a profile. pintail species profile. There will be a lot of people out there way more qualified to talk about the details of the newest scientific research on pintails than me. And we'll try to get those folks on at some point, but I think we're overdue in delivering a, a species profile. So we'll get some something out there. I know that material well enough to to kind of give the basics of it and what we understand about that species right now. It is one of the more fascinating species that we've studied uh, and that and the, the evolution of our understanding of what has happened with that population. It's um, it's pretty interesting and so we'll, we can we'll bring that to folks here in the in the next little while. Cool. Well, I think, I, I think that's, that's all a, for me. That's man. all of our update. My oh, only... wait. I do have something else. Okay. And this was in response to a couple of questions that I've received and maybe a few things that I've heard. And it's it's something that, you know, we can't, it's, it's worth reminding people of every now and then. Harvest Information Program, HIP, HIP certification. The One of the, two of the common questions is, okay, whenever I'm completing my HIP certification and they're asking me, to, to answer those questions, how many ducks did you harvest last year? That, those, your answer there does not determine harvest estimates. Yeah. They don't use that for estimating, for generating those, you know, total harvest numbers. What they use those numbers for is to categorize you into different levels of let's say, harvest success or how much harvest you're likely to, uh, assuming that your harvest success last year is a reasonable predictor of what you're going to harvest this year, they're going to put you into these different bins. The high harvest hunters, medium harvest hunters, Mm -hmm. and then those that just kill a few birds each year. Then they stratify their sample of hunters based on those three bins because you want to be able to harvest uh, sample those hunters in the high harvest category at a at a different rate than those yeah. at the at the low harvest bin if you want to improve the precision accuracy of your, your of your resulting harvest yeah. estimates. So what they then do is send out the, after they select those individuals, they'll ask you to participate in one of two surveys, being the um, the parts collection survey. That's the one where you send in the tails or the yeah. used to be the wings. I don't even wings. Uh, the, the the wings and the tails for geese. I don't know if they even still do the tails for geese. I think some things are changing there. I was going to say, I haven't done it for three years now. Yeah. And then the other is the hunter diary survey. That's where you're just asked to keep yeah. a record of of your duck. And or that comes typically harvest. from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Both of those comes okay. from, both of those come from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But now the, I will do say a reminder because I just realized this last week when kicking off early spec season in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, this is my first year being on the AGFC app using that only. You know, you don't even have the printed out licenses. Oh yeah. You get you can you can have it all electronic, including your federal duck stamp, but. If you do, like if your state offers a renewal, an auto renewal, which Arkansas does, which I check the box, it does not auto renew your hip. Your hip. That's yeah. right. So yeah. got to, it'll auto renew everything else, but not your hip. The other thing related to that, and I've had two people ask me, the two or maybe three people ask me this question this year. If I hunt in more than one state, do I have to get hip certified in each of those states? The answer is yes. yes. Your hip certification is specific to the state in which you're, you're hunting. And if you get 
a if you're sampled, if the Fish and Wildlife Service selects you to to participate in one of those surveys, it will tell you should tell you which of those states you have been selected for. If you if you mm-hmm. did your hip certification for more than one state, it should tell you to kind of record your harvest or your wings or uh, yeah your wings for which of those states. Yeah. Right. So just a couple of clarifications there. Uh, hip certification specific for each state, and then yeah, if you're selected. Um, oh, that's the other thing. Whenever you're, let's say I go to Louisiana this year, whenever I get my HIP certification for Louisiana and I'm answering those questions for Louisiana, like how many ducks or geese did you harvest last year? I answer relative to my harvest in Louisiana yeah. in that state. Each state is That's different. the other part of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. And coots and gallows. Cat Coots and gallows, yes. Well, good deal. Yeah, the only update I have, did, did a little bit of uh, early spec hunting. Uh, got to shoot a few birds. It was pretty yeah. decent. Got bit by a spider in a pit. On some heavy yeah. antibiotics right now. Nice. Uh, all good, but ready to kick off the regular season. Yeah, you saw a snake too, didn't you? Yeah, lots of snakes, lots of frogs. <laughs> so that's, I think there's a story behind that's that like snake That's like 75 too. degrees in Arkansas <laughs> on opening morning, and uh, they were out. Mm-hmm. They were there for sure. Well, Mike, this has been fantastic. Uh, we're going to go ahead and leave it with everybody for the rest of the month of November. We'll come back with hopefully some uh, additional shows, some Pintel profile that uh, Mike just promised the audience, so now yeah. we can't back out That's on. right. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Let us know, I guess, let us know if you like this type of little roundup type thing. Like I said, it's the first time we've ever done something like this. I don't know if it's something we could do uh, more of. If folks want something like this, let us yeah. know. Email us at uh, dupodcast at ducks.org. Yeah. I'd like to thank my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier, for joining me on this little November roundup, getting a little bit of information out there. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for being awesome, putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU Podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists conservationists. with the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here.
We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.